How's everybody today? Look at us with fancy transmission music and everything. I like that. That was good. It's good to see everybody. If you're on uh, Zoom with us today, glad you're here. Um, man, great week this week. I don't know about you guys. I, I had to, many of you know I went to Texas to take a class uh, last week, and I was telling some of the band this morning, they asked how it was, and I said we got through uh, five days of training in three days. I got to come home two days early, so win for us, so glad to, glad to, to have that out of the way. Um, last week, like always, I want to kind of catch us up on where we left off. Last week we began Hebrews chapter 12 um, and talked about God's call for his people to endure, and apparently that was a pretty timely word for us in the body as we heard through testimony this morning. And I wanted to remind us that, that um, and, and most of us know this by now because I remind us of this every week, but this book was written as a word of encouragement for people who are struggling. Um, and we found that to be so good for us over the last year as we've kind of walked through this book. Um, but this letter is written to the churches in Rome, and in the chapter prior to chapter 12, the author gives us extensive recounting of faith, of people, the matriarchs and the patriarchs of our faith who uh, endured a lot, who trusted God with everything so that they could be obedient to him. And he does that to remind the church of what can happen if we learn to endure and have faith in God saying and doing or doing the things that he says he'll do. In order for us to live that way, though, we have to put everything in God's hands, just like Abraham who followed God's call to leave his people and his homeland to go to this promised place, this place that would be better. He trusted God completely. We got to allow God to do that in our lives and to, to let God speak into our lives the things that we need to let go of so that we can continue um, to follow him. Last week, we saw some very specific language in regards to removing the weight that holds us back in our lives, the things that keep us from pursuing God. And we talked about how important it is that we regularly talk to God about our lives and give him the opportunity to trim away those things that are holding us up. As we trust God completely, we're going to experience the joy that comes only through obedience and through living in union with him. So today, as we move forward in chapter 12, we're going to see that in addition to living with endurance, there's also a great need in all of our lives to let God mold us into his likeness. We all remember the, the famous passage from the book of Jeremiah where it talks about us being the clay and God being the, the potter. And as we talk about our topic today, I want us to think of it in that regards that God is working in us to create what he has called us to be. Um, this topic that we're going to talk about today is discipline. You probably saw already that the name of the title is Loving Discipline. And that particular topic is one that we often struggle with. In our church, we've spent a lot of time, years in fact, helping a lot of us understand what it means to live under God's grace and his desire for us to understand. And Leah pointed to this this morning that there's nothing that we can do that's going to make God love us any more or any less than he already does. When he sees us as believers, when he sees us, he sees Jesus. And so as we talk about discipline today, uh, I want to kind of put some cautionary statements out there because it'll be easy for us. I was talking with Alex about this before church this morning. It's easy for us often to let the enemy get in our ear and make us feel guilty about things that we don't even need to feel guilty about. And when we think of discipline, often that's kind of where our mind goes. Um, but this is an aspect of God's character. And today um, we're going to kind of look into that. And I know that it's going to be in uh, can be uncomfortable, um, but I want us to see what it looks like to be molded by a kind and a loving God, because um, the reality is he does that because he loves us. So a couple of things before we get started. Um, number one, I want us to remember that not every negative thing that we experience is God disciplining us. 
This is one of the enemy's favorite tactics. If something goes wrong in your life, he's going to try to use that to convince you that you have done something wrong that deserves punishment from God. For many, um, this is their mindset. For me, for a lot of my life, that was my mindset, that if something happened in my life that wasn't convenient or that was uncomfortable, it was God punishing me for something. My hope is today that we're going to bring some relief to that fear, that feeling that you have in your life if you're like me. Um, There's a distinct difference between God's discipline and then the effects of living in a fallen world. Um, We talked about the effects of living in a fallen world a lot last year as we studied the book of Ecclesiastes. But I want to give us an example today of kind of what I mean by that. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, a lot of you guys know that after church, my family and I went to Sam's to go grocery shopping, got a week's worth of groceries to feed an army, got them in the car, cranked the car, and it wouldn't get out of drive. And so now we're stranded for a couple hours. People came and rescued us, and, and we were fine. But that wasn't God's punishment for something. That's just an unfortunate event. Sometimes cars break down. Another example is a few weeks or a few months ago, I shared with you guys that I was in life group, leading a life group, and I, I said something to somebody that wasn't very kind, and in the moment, the Holy Spirit corrected me on it, but I didn't do anything about it. I didn't apologize, and so another church member, one of our deacons, came to me and said, hey, can we have coffee? And I knew, like, you know how you can feel sometimes, like, oh, no. Um, and so we had an uncomfortable conversation, and I'm so thankful that that person had that uncomfortable conversation with me because God used it to call me into correction. Do you see the difference between the two of sometimes we mess up, and God does correct us, but he does that because he loves us versus just we live in a broken world, and sometimes things break. Sometimes things go wrong. Um, so the second thing I want us to, to, to kind of caution us about today is that not all of us have a healthy relationship with our parents, and that can distort our view of God and his loving discipline for us. And so I wanted to make mention of that today because most of you probably know that the way that we view God is largely dependent upon how we view our parents and our relationships with them. And I wanted us today, as we kind of move into this, some of your stories I know and some I don't, I want us to all... Um, be aware, and I want to be real gentle about how we talk about God's discipline, because your idea of discipline may not be the same as mine. You have, may have had different experiences that I had, and so today I'm going to share some experiences from my life when my parents disciplined me, and my hopes behind that, beyond just being some comedic relief, because there's stories of how I was really kind of being dumb, um, and they called me out on that, but beyond that, I, I want to use those as examples of how parents who are are loving and trying to discipline their kids, kind of how they go about that. Not to say that my parents are perfect, because they're not, um, but I feel like they did a good job of, of raising me to be the person that I am. So we're going to see the author today reference discipline uh, spe- specifically as a parent. And so I just want to be sensitive to that today, that if you didn't have a great relationship with your parents growing up, or maybe you don't have a great relationship with them now, um, that that doesn't mean that that's how God wants to deal with you, that the way that they did it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way. So I want us to kind of all be on the same page with that this morning. And so if you're struggling with that, um, I, I want you to know that um, if you'd like to have some more conversations, let's certainly do that. I'd like to pray this morning before we dive into this, because my goal today is not for you to just hear me say some words but for the Holy Spirit to work in each of our lives to help us understand this topic that for me in my life was difficult, and it may be difficult for you. So let's pray this morning, and then we'll dive in. Father, this morning as we read your word, I'm asking that you would speak through it. I'm asking that you would open up the hearts and the minds of all that are in this room and joining us on the internet. Father, we want to see your heart and your intent behind what it is that you're saying. Father, the enemy would love to distort our understanding of what you're trying to accomplish in our lives. So God, give us the understanding that we all need from this passage. 
And Father, if there are some with us today that have had difficult childhoods in regards to their parents and discipline, I ask that you would bring them peace in this moment as we study your word. Father, reveal your heart to them specifically. God, help me to be gentle and to communicate clearly today um, on how you intend to mold us into your likeness. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump in today at Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 3 through 13, okay? So it says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you've not resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one who he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are an illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we uh, submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight the paths of your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. You know, as I, I read those first two verses, there's a very particular phrase or, or phrases that come to mind. Um, when I was growing up, as you, many of you guys know, I spent a lot of time in the, in the rodeo arena. And if you got hurt, the response I would also get from, that I would often get from a few of the men in my life that were kind of mentoring me was, you ain't even bleeding. And, and if I was bleeding, they would say, well, that ain't even close to your heart. Rub some dirt in it, okay? In other words, cowboy up. That's what I was being told. Now, I, I'm, I'm very aware that not all would appreciate that kind of, uh, or condone that kind of response to your children. But it had an interesting effect on my life. It taught me to ignore things that were mildly painful so that I could accomplish whatever it was that I was doing. And, and that's pretty typical in the realm of cowboy stuff. And I can't tell you how many times as an adult I'll come into the house and my wife or kids will be like, Dad, what happened? I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, you're bleeding. Oh, I, I am bleeding. I don't notice those things anymore because I was trained that if I'm not dying, I'm okay, keep going forward. And so a lot of times I don't even notice that stuff. It taught me to, that I can tolerate a lot more pain and a lot more suffering than I realized. Because if, and, and if something does hurt, it doesn't mean it's okay to just quit. Often when you're working with large animals, you're going to get in a situation where it's uncomfortable or it hurts. But that doesn't mean you just back off and say, never mind you got to keep going forward. That's some cowboy stuff. We can talk about that more later, okay? For example, if you fall off a horse, what, is, what are you supposed to do? Get back on, right? That's, and I, just in case you've never fallen off a horse, it does not feel good. It is in no way comfortable, but it's the best thing for you and for the horses to get back on, and both of you are going to learn something through that experience. As we read these first two verses, what I believe the author is saying is that even though life sometimes hurts, you are okay keep going. Okay. And sometimes that's kind of hard for us to hear. I was talking 
with um, Mickey a few weeks ago. Many of you guys know Mickey, and we were laughing at the fact that now when some new crazy health thing happens in her life, that you just laugh about it. Mickey's had a lot of struggles with her health issues, and you know, go visit a doctor and she'll have this weird blood disease thing that one out of a million and three people have, and you're like, of course I have that. Why would I, why would I not have that now? And we just kind of joke about it. But when you've had to endure difficulties, you kind of build up a tolerance for that stuff. Like, yeah, I'm hurt again, but oh well. Bethany has told me so many times that on my gravestone, she's going to have put on there, I told you not to do that. That's just where I am, okay? Look at these first two, two verses, verses three and four with me again. It says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Interestingly, this part of this book of Hebrews is kind of how they date when this book was written because it's written to the people in Rome, but because he makes this statement that you've not resisted to the point of shedding blood means that Nero, Emperor Nero, has not come into power yet because once he does, they're tortured and, and killed. Um, and so that's kind of how they date this letter. But at the writing of this letter, that was not yet the case. And so the author's telling the church that while life is difficult, it could be worse. He's saying, look at the example of Jesus and what he endured for your sake. And as you are suffering with the persecution that's going on in your life, it could be worse than it already is. And later it does become worse. And I guarantee you that those people that heard this letter of encouragement looked back on when they first heard this and they go, Wow, yeah, he was right. And actually that stuff we were going through back then wasn't that bad, right? As believers, this is a good lesson for us to learn. I've, I've mentioned this before, but we have been conditioned to think that once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that all of a sudden life's going to get easier and you're not going to have any problems. And frankly, that's just not true. That's not how it works. Um, what was impossible before Often, when we learn to trust Him, when we learn to endure, what was impossible before becomes ordinary and, and commonplace. I love um, Jim Gaffigan's bit on what it's like to have a fourth child. Have you all ever heard this before? He says, do you want to know what it's like to have a fourth child? Imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. That's what it's like to have a fourth child, okay? Some of you may have figured this out about life and some of you may have not yet. But if you think you're busy right now, just wait a few years. You're not as busy as you think. I remember when Bethany and I were uh, working at our first church as full-time staff, that was the only job we had. And we were both paid to be full-time staff. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, we are so busy right now. <laughs> I'd go back there in a minute in terms of what I had to accomplish each day. You can handle a lot more than you think. That's kind of what I want us to see in this. And God is going to purposely stretch you to show you what's possible when you, trust, when you trust Him. We feel like life is too much sometimes and we can't do any more. But then we're reminded to remember what Jesus endured, to remember what His life looked like. Remember what all those that have gone before us have endured. That's why I list out all in chapter 11, all of these men and women of faith and what they endured. If we'll put our trust in God, He's going to bring you through whatever is in front of you. When you start asking God to lead you and to put all that you have in His care, like we talked about during the introduction, when we begin to do that, what's going to happen is all of a sudden we're going to be in a place that we've never been before. Um, I love one of the lines from a Hillsong song, Oceans, to lead me out in deeper waters where I've never been before. That whole idea of when we trust God with everything that we have, 
that he's going to bring us to a place that we've never been before. And all of a sudden we're going to panic because we realize that we are not capable of handling this situation. And that's exactly the point. Because God doesn't want you to handle the situation. He wants you to let him handle it through you to rely on his power and his strength. God's going to continue to work in your life to make you more like himself. And that's point number two is that God's discipline is lovingly training you in right character. Look at verses 5 through 8 again. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are an illegitimate uh, children and not sons. When you read this passage, it becomes clear that the author is wanting the church to understand two things. Number one, that God loves you and is treating you with the same love and attention that parents give their children. And then number two, that God is going to use your current circumstances to teach you something. I want to remind you what I said in the beginning during the cautionary statements, particularly number one, that not all that you are struggling with is a result of your sin. Some Some of it is the result of living in a fallen world. And if you're unsure which it is, Ask God. He wants to speak to you. And that's going to give you peace. And it's going to speed up the process. Because if it is a result of your sin, you acknowledging it and letting God speak to that is going to speed up that process. Instead of you wallowing in self-pity and feeling bad about your situation and not understanding why you're in that situation. Does that make sense? Ask God and let him speak into that. And even if God didn't cause it, he's also not going to waste it. If we involve God in what is going, in our, going on in our lives, he's going to use that circumstance to make us better people. Both of those things are significant for us to understand, not only for our own benefit, but also that so we can help others see that in their own lives. When they're struggling to understand that God has not forgotten them, to understand that your current struggles are not the result of God's inattention. Because we think that a lot too, that God has forgotten about it. Who was it that said that this morning? That you, Leah? in your testimony. Somebody shared that this morning. Yeah, to feel like God has just forgotten about you. But that's not the case. God is aware of what's going on in your life, and he's going to work and discipline you in your life as that loving act of a father. I want to share another story with you um, this morning of kind of my own life and what that looks like as a loving father disciplines you. When I was about 13 years old, my kids are going to enjoy this story. I don't know if you've heard it before. When I was about 13 years old, uh, I had a friend of mine who I was very close with who started smoking cigarettes because, you know, it's cool, right? Well, if he was going to smoke cigarettes, I wanted to smoke cigarettes too. So I had an opportunity. My parents had got a rental truck because their truck got an accident, and I was getting in it one day, and I noticed that there was a pack of cigarettes in the door of the truck, and I thought, ha, 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 here is my opportunity. So I went and stole some of those cigarettes, and because I was a brilliant three-year-old, I decided that the appropriate time to smoke those cigarettes is while I was mowing the grass. Yeah, well, my parents weren't home, so I did have that going for me. I don't know if you guys remember, but during that time period, there was a huge ad campaign against not smoking because obviously it gives you lung cancer and you can die. Well, my younger sister had seen those commercials, and in her mind, it was a kill over dead after you smoked your first one. And so she calls my mom hysterical because Will's smoking cigarettes and he's about to die. I mean, she, in her mind, I wasn't even going to finish the yard, and it was going to be over for me. So mom calls dad, and my dad comes home with a pack of Marlboro Reds. If you've never smoked cigarettes, those are pretty intense. And he pulls up the pickup truck. This is classic dad fashion right here. Drops the tailgate and says, come on, boy. 
have a seat. You want to smoke a cigarette, you can learn how to smoke them right. So he hangs one out of his lip, hands me one, and he proceeded to make me smoke until I threw up. And then he said, now get back on the mower and finish. Okay? It's fun to laugh at. It was not fun in the moment. Kids, let that be a lesson to you. Okay? Don't smoke cigarettes. But guess what? Guess what happened? I am not a smoker. Right? He accomplished his goal. I want to point out a couple of things that are true of my dad's response and how God responds to us when we make mistakes. My dad didn't respond out of anger. In fact, what he told me was, if you're going to smoke, you're going to learn how to do it the right way, okay? Which revealed to my 13-year-old self that that was not something that I wanted to do, okay? I knew that when he dropped the tailgate, but we had to go through the process, okay? My dad didn't hang that over, the head, over my head for the rest of my life. Every time I made a mistake after that, he didn't go, well, you remember that time you tried to smoke cigarettes? My dad dealt with it immediately because he loved me. And if he had waited or just never addressed it, I would have never learned that valuable lesson. And chances are high that I would be struggling with addiction to, to nicotine today. All of these same things are true of God. God responds out of love, not out of anger, so that we can learn from our mistakes. God doesn't hold our sins overhead, constantly reminding us of all the times that we've messed up. God deals with your sin and corrects you because he loves you. Just like my dad wanted to prevent me from starting a lifelong habit that would be incredibly difficult to overcome, God is working in your life to prevent you from making life-altering mistakes. So when God's disciplining you, it's easy to look at that and say, I don't want any part of this. But that discipline is the way God is loving you. He's trying to, to treat you, or he's trying to teach you how to be more like he is. If God didn't love people, he wouldn't care when we sinned and he wouldn't correct us. One of the commentators that I read this week, uh, Dr. George Guthrie, said, Christians have never been entirely comfortable with hardship, which looks, feels, and smells like a snake, but which Hebrews suggest is fish, brought by the Lord for our spiritual nourishment. We simply do not like hardship's pain. Hebrews says that this is normal, yet pain and difficulty are part and parcel of living in a fallen world. We don't like the pain of discipline. I did not like throwing up when I, my dad was making me smoke cigarettes. But it was good for me in the long run. In my experience, often when people reject God because they feel judged or condemned, it's because they believe that he's being harsh or vindictive. We have the opportunity to show others that God's discipline in our lives is not vindictive. And it's not harsh. It's loving. It's him taking care of his children. By us sharing how God's worked in our lives to teach us, we're sharing the truth about who God is and how much he loves his people. Which brings us to point number three is that God's work in our lives allows us to share in his holiness. That's pretty profound to think about. That God's discipline allows us to share in his holiness. One of the goals of any parent is to teach their children what it means to be a good person. No one has to teach a child how to be a bad person, by the way. They're born knowing that, okay? We work diligently to teach our children how to be good people. If you're in that stage of life, you know what I'm talking about. You know that it takes diligence, that it takes patience, and a lot of love to train up a child. The long-term goal in all the time that's spent in training your children is so that they become functioning in a productive part of society. We want our children to not just become adults, but become adults that make the world a better place. Often you hear parents, hear parents say things like, I want my kids to do better than I did, or I want my kids to be better than I am. That's what I want for my kids. The intent behind that is that we want our children to have a bigger impact 
on the world than what we've had. In order to do that, there's a lot of work that has to be done as they're growing up. When I was a kid, it's another story of Will being stupid. When I was a kid, my biggest struggle was lying. If I was given the opportunity to tell the truth and receive no consequences or lie and get what we call a whooping, I would take the whipping every single time. I don't know why. I can't explain it to you. I couldn't explain it then and I can't explain it now. But given a clear choice, tell the truth and you're not going to be in trouble. If you lie, you're going to be in trouble. I would lie every time. Don't know why. But my dad was diligent and he was loving. And every time I lied, I had to go get my belt and meet him on the back porch and lean up on the whooping post. And if you don't know what that is, I can educate you later. Okay? It took me years Nearly all of them that I lived in my parents' house. For my dad to get through my thick skull that it was better to not lie than to lie. There was a compulsion in me for that particular sin and I don't know what caused it. But I know that my dad corrected it through a lot of years and a lot of whoopings. But that's what it took for me. It would have been easier for my dad to just give up and say, well, he's a liar. And move on with his life. But he didn't because he loved me. And I've told my dad before, and I'll probably say it to him again, that I appreciate how hard he was on me and my siblings as kids because that has formed me into the person that I am. And that's exactly what God's trying to do in our lives. As he's disciplining us, as he is working in our lives, as he is calling us into correction, he's doing that because he loves us and he wants, to sh- wants us to share in his holiness. He wants us to be a part of his life. For many people... They receive this idea of correction with negative connotations, but that's not the way it's intended. That's not God's intent. That's not the intent of the author of Hebrews. When we're in an active relationship with God, we're going to feel what God's intent is as we're going through that correction. Look at what it says in verse 9 through 11. It says, furthermore, we had human fathers disciplining us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The discipline of God, when received in the right manner, trains us in right character by purifying our hearts. All that God is trying to do in our lives, it's to purify our hearts. It's to make us more like himself. And as our our hearts are purified, that's what happens. We become more like God. And the result of of his work in our life is that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. What's difficult about that, though, is that when God is working his righteousness into your life, it doesn't feel good, right? When God is working his righteousness into your life, it means that he is changing who you are. He's molding that clay. Or I'm sure you've seen a, a blacksmith work a piece of iron where they beat it into submission. Sometimes that's what it takes. It's for us to be heated and refined and worked into the shape that God's called us to. When God's doing that in our lives, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. But that doesn't mean that it's not good. It's the work that often, it's that kind of work that often draws people or or drives people away from God because they're unwilling to see it through. They go, look, I don't like this pressure. I don't like this fire. I'm out. And they miss out on what God's trying to do in their life. 
when we're struggling, I want us to understand that we're not alone, that we need to hear that other people are struggling and we need to share that we're struggling so that people begin to see that that's a normal part of the Christian life. It's not that God has forgotten about us. It's not that he doesn't love us. We're going through that because he does love us. Look at these words from the prophet Isaiah. It says, strengthen, strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming and he will save you. The eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like deer. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool and the thirsty land springs. In the haunt of jackals, in their lairs, there will be grass, reeds, and papyrus. And the road will be there in a way. It will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the ones who walk the path. Fools will not wander on it. Prophet Isaiah is, is pointing out to the people. They're shaking hands. They're weary. They're beat down. But a promise is coming. This promise is Jesus. That's what he's referring to. That God is coming to restore his people. And those places that were dry will have water. Those that were hungry will be fed. Those who can't speak will sing with joy. That's what happens when God begins to work in our lives. God's giving us the tools through this passage from Isaiah to understand what he's doing in our lives, to, to look beyond our current feelings and our current circumstances, to see the bigger picture of what God's trying to accomplish in our lives. I appreciate your testimony of that this morning, that we often, we want to have the roadmap. We want to know A, B, and C that needs to happen so that we can get to the end of the road. And God says, no, 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 trust me, follow me. I'm going to show you the way as we go. C.S. Lewis notes, this was in one of my commentaries, on the meaningfulness of pain. It said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When things are hard in our life, whether it's a result of the fallen world or it's a result of God's discipline, God's going to use both of those. And I find it ironic that when we talk about God speaking, that often when we are pursuing him the most is when life is the most difficult. And that's what C.S. Lewis is talking about. It's interesting that we are going to God at that point the hardest, and God is trying his hardest to speak to us. It's because he knows that's where we need to meet. God wants to use those difficult times in our lives. He wants to draw us back to himself. God's working in all things, and the author of Hebrews wants us to see that. That's what his, his message to the church is is that even though you're, you're suffering persecution and life is really difficult right now, God is working in this and it's not as bad as you think it is. It could be worse. The same message is true for us. Wherever you are today, whatever's going on in your life, God is working in your circumstances, whether you caused it from sin or whether God is just working in your life as a result of a fallen world. God's present. He's with you. I want to close out today with these last two verses, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. It says, therefore, strengthen your tired hands and your weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. Again, we see him referencing this Isaiah passage that we just read, and he's going back to the analogy of running the race that we talked about last week. As we're running the race in our lives, run with God. When he says there, make straight your paths, he's talking about pursuing the Lord. 
Because if you're running and you get an injury, what happens if you continue to run on it? If you're doing anything athletic and you get an injury and you continue to, to work that injury, is you're going to make it worse. So what do we do? We go see a doctor or an athletic trainer or something, and we let them look at the injury, and we let them diagnose it and create a treatment plan. We follow that treatment plan until we're healed so that we can compete again. And that's the same thing that God's pointing us to here as well through the author of Hebrews. If we go our own way when we're suffering and when we're going through pain, if we go our own way and don't let God speak into that, if we don't let God diagnose and create a treatment plan, we're going to make it worse. But when we begin to struggle, if we'll bring that struggle to God, no matter what the cause of it is, let him speak into that and reveal what he's trying to do in our lives. If we let him diagnose the cause of the problem and then show us a treatment plan and then we follow that treatment plan, he's going to heal us. This is what the author of Hebrews is encouraging the church to do. Church, if you're experiencing pain, bring it to God. Let him talk to you about it. Let him tell you what he's doing in your life. Let God diagnose the problem and let him bring healing. God's desire is to make us like himself. His desire is for us to know him. And he's going to work through the pain and the suffering that exists in your life so that you can. When life gets difficult, don't run from God. Run to him and let him speak to you about what your difficulty is. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful that when life is hard, that we don't have to feel like we're left alone. Father, that as, as you work in our lives, that we get to see the beauty of who you are. That even when we're struggling with pain and with suffering, that you're still there in the midst of that. Father, I ask that this week, if there are any of those in our body that are, that are struggling through something, Father, I ask that you would speak clearly into their lives and reveal what you want to accomplish through that situation. Father, if there are people around us that we see that they're struggling, Father, give us a heart for them. Give us an opportunity to share your love, to share that you are going to work even through their pain. Father, draw us to yourself. Help us to see your activity around us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead.